Hello, and welcome back to the HSAC podcast. For those of you that don't know, we are the Harvard College Sports Analytics Collective, a group of undergraduate students dedicated to the quantitative and statistical analysis of sports. We break down the numbers and advanced metrics behind all your favorite teams and players, trying to bring useful insights to the game. I am David Arco, a rising sophomore at Harvard College, and today I am lucky to be joined again by two great guests and fellow HSAC members, Buddy Scott and Chris Chang. On this episode, we will be recapping the first three rounds of the NBA playoffs, discussing some of the big storylines, analyzing the finals matchup between the Phoenix Suns and Milwaukee Bucks, and making our predictions. Buddy is the current co-president of HSAC and is a rising senior studying economics and government and is a setter on the Harvard men's volleyball team. He's an NBA salary cap junkie and is currently interning with the NBA Players Association as a basketball-related income intern. He also just launched his own basketball podcast called Buddy Ball, and you can also follow him on, on Twitter at BuddyScottNBA for all salary cap-related information and more. Chris is also a co-president of HSAC and is a rising junior studying computer science and economics. He's written an article about predicting NBA three-point shooting from college player performance. You can check out Chris's article on our website at harvardsportsanalysis.org. Just a reminder that this is a continuation from our NBA playoff recap episode in which we discussed some of the interesting storylines from the opening rounds of the playoffs. And yeah, hope you enjoy this NBA playoff finals preview. A big narrative of this final matchup between the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks is the idea of small market teams. So the Bucks have only one title in franchise history. That was in 1971. The Suns have never won a championship in their 50-year history, haven't been to the finals since the Barkley era. That the last finals was in 1993. And this is their first playoff appearance since 2009-2010 season. Do either of you agree with this narrative? Obviously, buddy, you're like kind of the cap expert with this narrative that these teams are small market. Is that a true statement? What do you think about that? It's really hard to differentiate big market and small market apart from like the extremes and you know the extreme is like an LA team or a New York team that's obviously a big market team a Memphis, Oklahoma City and New Orleans that's a small market team and i would say Phoenix is probably somewhere in the middle of that spectrum and Milwaukee is probably between the middle and and the bottom but that's pretty subjective like that's just kind of me thinking but just yeah just looking at their payrolls like so the, the top three players on each team, if, if you want to say for the Bucks, that's Holiday, Giannis, and, and Middleton. So Giannis was drafted there, obviously. Middleton, he was a second-round pick. He played a year in Detroit and then was traded to Milwaukee, and he's been there for like eight years. And Drew got traded last offseason. And even P.J. Tucker was traded there. So I guess you can say of their starters, Brooke Lopez is the only one who decided to go to Milwaukee, but I think that was on like the biannual exception after he had a down year with the Lakers the season prior. So it's not like he was a big free agent. And then for Phoenix, you know, Booker was drafted there. Aiden and Bridges were drafted there just a few years ago. Chris Paul was traded there. So the reason why I'm bringing this up is it's not like they chose to play there. So I guess Brooke Lopez and Jay Crowder for Phoenix are the only main guys that really decided to go there, but it wasn't like it was for big money. So for that reason, I would say that they both teams I would call more like small market, small market in the sense that like you're building internally and your and your draft picks actually turned out into something great, which I think is a big reason why these two teams are are here. 
it's definitely not like a Brooklyn or a Clippers story where the players, they want to play in, in the market. And that's why these teams have these great players. So as a basketball fan, it's refreshing to see that, you know, teams building for the draft that aren't like the Lakers who, who were terrible for a number of years. And then LeBron joined and they were great. They've actually built this for a number of years. That's been good to see, but yes, they're pretty small market, but again, it's pretty subjective, like whatever way you slice it. No, I think, yeah, I think in sports, a small market has become this catch-all. It's like, oh, if you're not from LA, New York, Boston, Philadelphia, you're small market, which I think, you know, it's like, it's all narrative. The Lakers are gone. So, and, and they're, so they're not here this year and they have to make up something. Oh, watch these two small market teams. Well, they haven't had, you know, not much success. So like, like I said, the Bucks in 1971, Phoenix never won. So that is true, but I don't know small market how much that is true. But I think the homegrown aspect, the idea of growing it more so than the Lakers, like just doing it through free agency is more correct, I guess, is more, makes more sense to think about it in that way. And I guess a follow-up question for Buddy. I know we're still going to get into the matchup this year, but in the, in the future years, you know, you're the cap expert. So which of these teams do you think is better positioned, I guess, from a cap perspective and just from a perspective of who's more likely to contend in the future? I mean, they're both pretty similar but I would definitely say Milwaukee is their key players are just older. So they're further along in their careers and naturally they're getting paid more. Giannis is on a contract that started at 35% of the, the salary cap, whereas Booker is on a contract that started at 25. I would say that in a few years, Phoenix will be at least financially in the position that Milwaukee is in right now. Like Aiden and Bridges are still on their rookie scale contracts as well as Cam Johnson. So they're pretty cost controlled for this year and next season. So I guess if I had to inherit a financial situation of the team, I would say Phoenix because those guys have yet to be paid big money, but I think it's heading to the same direction that Milwaukee's going. So I, you know, Phoenix is also a little bit younger, so I would pick them. Um, Milwaukee, I think it looks better because they made, they made the finals this year. But if you look like three years down the line, they're paying a combined, like I think it's like 125, 130 million to just holiday Giannis and Middleton. And they're all going to be in their thirties at that point. You know, that's the price you have to pay to get them to, to stay. Like you're not paying for those years, four years down the line, you're paying for the fact that they got the team to the finals this year. Um, but yeah, now we can get into this specific matchup. So what strategies should fans be looking for from each team? Like who should guard who, or what kind of, you know, are they going to try and run this kind of player, get this kind of, you know, rotate, things like that. Just the granular details, I guess. What should fans be looking for to see how analytics is factoring into the series? And which of these two teams would you say is more analytics friendly? I mean, Milwaukee's advantage here is definitely in the paint. I mean, even without Giannis, Brooke Lopez is just a giant. Um, And Drew Holiday is really good at getting to the basket uh, when he wants to. I think in a situation like this, um, I mean, generally when you talk about like basketball analytics driven play in the regular season, you're talking about overarching sort of strategy against the more common teams. And so in that sense, you know, you're trying to jack up threes. Um, you're trying to get easy layups and fast break points. I think in the playoffs, you really do have to play matchups. And so your best strategy analytically uh, from an analytics perspective is, is to take advantage of your strengths. And so Milwaukee, you know, you haven't been shooting well, you've been shooting 31% from the three point line. I'm um, in the playoffs and yet you're still taking 
uh, way too many attempts. So I, I'm curious to see whether they'll make an adjustment there and try really try to crash the boards, score in the paint, get in the paint, get Drew Holiday in the paint, get Brook Lopez in the paint when, if Giannis does not play um, and try to win that way. And I mean, the challenge for uh, Phoenix would then to be to defend that. I think that if Milwaukee takes too much of approach outside from the three-point line, I, I think they might uh, find themselves in a little bit of trouble um, because Phoenix is kind of too good to be shooting poorly against. And I think Phoenix, Phoenix, they don't, they actually take a lot of mid-range shots. And that's because Devin Booker is really good in the mid-range and Chris Paul lives in the mid-range. And so in that sense, they're not like super analytics driven, you could say, in that sense, but they still play really smart basketball. I think they have less turnovers per game than a team like Milwaukee. And that will help you a lot too, right? Turnovers are really costly. Playing smart basketball, not turning the ball over and making use of your possession. I mean, that's one piece of analytics there that they kind of are good at because obviously they have Chris Paul, who's the point god. They play smart. Um, They play to score a bucket, even if it's not at the three-point line. They're not just going to jack up a shot if it's not great. So they look for the, the high percentage shots, even if that is in the mid-range. Two very different teams. We'll see what happens. Yeah, Chris made a lot of the points that I wanted to bring up. I think you summarized it pretty well, Chris. The Bucks are just big. Like You're playing Holiday at point guard. He could easily play the two or even the three on defense. You're playing Middleton at the two, who could easily play the three. You're playing P.J. Tucker at the three, who played center a lot of the time you're playing Giannis who had the four who could easily play center. And then you're playing Brooke Lopez. So they're just huge. And for Phoenix, it's almost the opposite. Like I know Chris Paul is a above average defender, but he's also six feet and 36 years old. So he's small as the point guard and Crowder and bridges. Neither of them have that prototypical like power forward build. So they're different in that regard, just in terms of like defensive matchups, it'll be interesting to see whether Drew guards Booker or Paul. I would assume he'll guard Paul um, and then Middleton will take Booker, but that'll be interesting to watch. And also, I mean, I think Milwaukee skews big. Like sometimes they'll play like Tucker, Portis, and Lopez out there. Like they'll be huge. Whereas the Suns, you know, they're pretty small. Like they're, you know, their backup center, Dario Saric, was like a three or a four just a couple years ago. From that perspective, it's pretty interesting. And just the other thing is they're both, they have really trustworthy players, but I would say I would only trust like one or two guys off of each team's bench. Like for Phoenix, once it gets past campaign and Cam Johnson, I don't necessarily know that I want any of those other guys out there. And Milwaukee, it's even more pronounced like that after Connaughton, who is pretty ineffective if he's, if he's not hitting shots, like Portis got a bunch, bunch of DMPs in, in the Brooklyn series. You know, that was because they had Durant at the four and like a four spacing five. So I don't know if Phoenix will present the same problem. But yeah, as Chris mentioned, pretty contrasting styles. They play differently. I think each has incorporated analytics in different ways. Like, like yes, as Chris mentioned, like Booker and Paul are very good in the mid-range, but then you're also surrounding them with two forwards that shoot threes from the corner very well and a guy in Aiden that can play above the rim and is really efficient in the paint, you know, those three players are pretty analytics friendly, even if maybe the backcourt is not in a traditional sense, but also like if they're that good at, at mid range shots, analytics isn't necessarily saying don't take those, which I think is a common misconception. 
Um, so yeah, super interesting contrasting styles. And I really have no idea how the series is going to turn out with it with a healthy Giannis. I think it's pretty damn even without Giannis, I would favor the Suns, but we'll have to see. I think, yeah, I was talking with a Bucks fan about this. I think Drew Holiday, it'll be interesting to see who he guards. And he often like spends a lot of time on, on everybody. So he was asking me, is he going to guard, you know, Chris Paul or Devin Booker? Because Chris Paul is kind of the source and the lifeblood of the offense, but Devin Booker is, you know, the score. So it'll be interesting to see who he guards and how much uh, Budenholzer or how much they fill around with that. And I just actually looked this up because I was interested to see the Suns and Bucks have played each other twice this year. Both have been one point games. The Suns won both of them and one was in overtime. So if that says anything, it's going to be a very competitive series. I think in one of them, Giannis had... Yeah, in one game, Giannis had a second highest of the season. He had 47 points, and the other he had 33. So he's done. He's done well against them. But if those two really close games say anything, hopefully we get something similar in the finals. But that'll be interesting. And yeah, so I guess we're gonna start talking about specific players. So first of all, we can start with we talked about some of them already. But who for you is the biggest X factor player on each team? You obviously know all the stars. But who is someone else who might step up in a big role that can really help out their team? For Milwaukee, he almost seems too like high caliber of a player to call him an X factor. But I think Chris Middleton playing well or not playing well is going to dictate a lot of this series. Like if if Middleton is playing well, the Bucks look really really good. If he's a guy you can kind of just give the ball to and get a bucket, like I think Milwaukee has a lot of a lot of advantages with that. But if if his shots aren't falling and you look around at the rest of the team especially if Giannis is not 100%, it gets rough at some points. And the Bucks, I think we saw this early in the Nets series. They look really, really bad. So Middleton, just like whether he's like getting the shots he wants and, and scoring at a all-star level clip, I, I think that's a big X factor. But I guess one more traditional X factor, I think I mentioned it already, like if Pat Connaughton is like hitting shots, like that really helps them. It's just like a six guy that they feel comfortable playing. If he's not hitting shots, it gets, I think the Bucks feel really desperate because they really don't have many other reliable guys. Like Bryn Forbes is such a defensive liability. So I don't know how much you want to have him out there. And for Phoenix, I guess Aiden, like staying on the floor and not getting into foul trouble really helps them because like I said, their front court depth is not great. And Aiden's been really good at not getting into foul trouble. He's been playing like 36 minutes a game in, in the playoffs and didn't get run off the court like Gobert kind of did against the Clippers. So him staying on the court and being effective, I think, is a big thing. And I guess also focusing on a bench guy like Cam Johnson is hitting shots off the bench. I think that's really going to help Phoenix as, as well. Yeah, I'm assuming that you know the Phoenix backcourt will, will both play great. But obviously, if they're not playing great, that's going to affect a lot of things. Yeah, I would really agree with those two guys, especially given how big Milwaukee is, as Buddy has mentioned. DeAndre Ayton is so critical for Phoenix in terms of guarding their basket. I think he's going to be huge. And then for Milwaukee, I also agree that Chris Middleton has... It, it really does seem like you know when Chris Middleton plays well, the Bucks play well. It does seem like that quite a bit. I mean, another guy... I think to watch out for is PJ Tucker. Um, I know in the Brooklyn series, his task was to guard Kevin Durant and then to stand in the corner for threes on the defensive end. I don't know who they match up. Maybe Jay Crowder. Is that who he matched up against probably? So, I mean, it's not the same as the task of guarding Kevin Durant, but they clearly trust him defensively. 
Um, and so against the Phoenix Suns team with a lot of firepower, I'd, I'd definitely watch to see how he's used on the defensive end. I'm thinking more of like a small player who might have like step up and have a big role. I think there's a lot of room for him to, to step up, especially, you know, from the three point line. And I think the play of the playoffs so far is probably the, the value in game two. And when he made that pass, I think a lot of people were talking about, wow, eight and dunking the ball. And people kind of forgot about that pass a little bit, but I think that pass was what made the shot possible. And that's kind of been lost and that's kind of a shame, but like if you're assigning credit, I was talking about earlier, I think the credit for that is like 80% on the pass and 20 on the shot. That was just an insane, I encourage you to go look up that highlight again, just watch that pass that he made. But yeah, I think Jay Crowder could, you know, step up and have a, uh, a big series. And then also for, for the Bucks, I'd say Brooke Lopez, I think maybe in, especially in stopping DeAndre Ayton, I think Ayton has had easier matchups against centers, at least defensively in the opening rounds. You know, he played Jokic and then he, in the last round, the Clippers just barely even had a center for the last couple of games and he was kind of able to dominate them on the glass that way. So if Lopez can kind of, you know, contain him a little bit and he's also kind of like a little bit of the lifeblood of the Bucks. You see him get pretty pumped sometimes. So little intangible things like that. But, and now moving on from X factor, something bigger, obviously this depends on which team wins, but who is going to be the finals MVP? So I guess if Suns win, who's, who's MVP, if the Bucks win, who's going to get MVP? So if the Bucks win, I think they have to have Giannis, in which case he will be the MVP. For the Suns, I think it really depends on how Chris Paul versus Devin Booker, not, well, not versus, but how they each play. I think it would be one of them. If Devin Booker goes off for 40 points a game, then it'd be Devin Booker. But I could also see Chris Paul doing a complete takeover uh, given that this is his first finals appearance in his 16-year career, and he really doesn't want to lose this one. I could see it going either way for the Suns. Yeah, if Phoenix wins it, I would imagine that CP3 would get the award, similar to like, so the Lakers won it last year and they gave it to LeBron and Anthony Davis was equally, if not even more dominant. Even if Booker has a better series, you know that CP3 is like the reason why they're here pretty much. Like you've seen past iterations of the Suns team that are not nearly as good. And Chris Paul and I guess Jay Crowder are pretty much the only new players. So I think they'll, the NBA would never admit this, but they like to reward the narrative. So I, I could see Paul winning it if he has a good series and the Suns win. For the Bucks, my dorky salary cap mind knows that if, I think Drew Holiday might be one of the only players in the league who has an incentive structure in his contract written this way, but he gets $1.05 million if the Bucks win the championship and an additional $250,000 if he wins finals MVP, which I know is chump change compared to his total salary. But so my nerdy mind will say that Drew Holiday will win just because then I'll get to update a little sell in my Excel spreadsheet. But I could all, I can honestly see that happening just because if the Bucks win, that probably means that Holiday is playing pretty amazing defense on one of Booker or Paul or even both. As David mentioned, he kind of gets situationally matched up against different players. And if he can hit shots and he was played pretty great that last game of the Hawks series, he would be kind of like my dark horse. But obviously, like Giannis or Middleton would probably be favored a little bit more. It's hard to say. We also don't know Giannis's health status, which I think is kind of the the looming factor that we keep bringing up. But that's going to impact the series in a lot of ways. Yeah, that, that Drew Holiday nugget is pretty interesting. I, I think most people are going to say Middleton or Giannis. 
I'll probably say Giannis just based on the two games that he's had against them in the regular season. Um, but Middleton could very well win it if he has some of those really, you know, dominant stretches where he goes on and just heats up at the end of games. And for the Suns, I'm curious. Yeah, we talked about it at the narrative. You know, I just looked it up. Like the MVP, the, the way the voting works is like 11 media members vote at the end of the finals. And correct me if I'm wrong, you're only supposed to look at the finals performance. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it'd be interesting to see like if Booker truly is like better than CP3, but you know, how much you can debate it. I mean, most of the time the star wins MVP, just looking at like the history, like the last time that someone wanted that wasn't the clear number one player on the team was Iguodala, the Warriors. Yeah. So I think it could go to, could go to Booker, but probably I'd say Chris Paul for MVP, but you never know. Yeah. So now we've kind of talked about the players. We can kind of finally get to the thing that everyone's been waiting for is our finals prediction. So who is going to win and how many games? And if you want to go really, really deep, you can say what, Who's going to win what game? But yeah, who's going to win how many games? I guess I'll go first. Um, I mean, using my analytical mind, I, I'm also weighing the fact that there's a probability that Giannis is partially hurt or will not play for some of the games. So I'm going to take the Phoenix Suns uh, in six games. So I'm going to go Suns in seven. And just to break it out a little bit more because I've been thinking about it. It could be totally wrong, but if it's right, it'll be cool that I actually have it on record. So uh, the Suns winning the first game, they, they had a lot more rest than the Bucks, And I think Giannis's health is probably going to be worse early, earlier in the series than it is later. Uh, so the Suns winning the first game, Milwaukee winning the second one. So it's tied one, one goes back to Milwaukee for two games. So Milwaukee wins game three. They're up two one. Suns win game four. So then it's, it's two, two, you go back to Phoenix Suns win game five back to Milwaukee bucks win game six. And then you get to a seventh game and the Suns are at home. So that's why I'm saying Suns in seven. And we've seen teams win in six a couple times in the playoffs, but I always kind of hesitate before picking that because winning in six means that you're winning your final game on the road, which especially in a finals environment. And now that both arenas are going to be like completely full, that's a hard thing to do. So yeah, I'm going to go Suns and seven with that breakdown. And if it's miraculously right, I'll uh, clip this recording and share it with the world. Last two finals have been six games. Just, I just checked. Well, well that kind of debunks my theory. I guess you can't really count the last one. And the other one was without previous one was without clay and KD, but yes, that's a good point. Phoenix also just had practice winning in six against the Clippers. So I was going to say Phoenix going into this, but both of you have said Phoenix. So I'm trying to think of the case for the Bucks. But I mean, I was going to say the Suns and Six, my real answer. They've just looked like the more impressive team throughout the whole playoffs. Like they'll be dominant on both sides of the ball for longer stretches of time. Whereas the Bucks will, you know, the Hawks would like they kind of beat up on them in two games, would get out and go on stretches. And then the Bucks would go on stretches. Whereas the Suns looked like more consistent dominance and they're less susceptible like, to streaks of, of shooting from guys like Middleton. But yeah, I guess we all agree on the Suns. So, and that's what probably most people would say in the betting market would also agree. And yeah, so now this is our last segment to kind of wrap it up. This is kind of a fun one. It's like better this or better that. So we go through like specific matchups, specific players, and I'll just go one for the Suns, one for the Bucks, and you can give you know whoever you think is better at that specific thing, and just like a brief one or two sentence uh, justification as to why they're better. So I'll start the first one. So better closer. So closing is very important in the playoffs, you know, 
comes down to the end, who can really score when it matters the most and it's a tight game. So closer for the Suns, Devin Booker, or closer for the Bucks in Chris Middleton? Can I pick Chris Paul? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can do that. I was going to actually say, yeah, maybe you're overlooking CP3, but yeah, you can pick CP. Uh, yeah, I'd pick Paul of anyone on either team. I mean, we've seen it. Again, recency bias, but pretty sure he had 28 points in eight minutes of gameplay into the third start of the fourth against the Clippers in game six. That just kind of is in my mind of he's just this amazing closer. Obviously, we've, we've never seen it on the conference final stage until now and obviously not a final stage. But Middleton has had a couple games where I'm like, wow, he just keeps making shots. He's not fading away at the end. He's, he's really just going at it. So I, I don't think Middleton's a bad answer here either. Booker, it seems like his efficiency has been down ever since he started wearing that nose guard thing. And that that's kind of affected his shot. Like he hasn't had many, you know, signature Devin Booker games since that happened. So we'll see. But yeah, I'd, I'd rather have Paul than Booker as my pick for the Suns. Do you think that the Suns would, well, would give the last shot? I mean, if you're drawing up a play, the last, not the last shot, the last couple shots, but obviously CP3 controls offense, but do you think it's Booker's going to take the shot or Chris Paul? That, that's actually a good point. Like Paul being, you know, six feet, it's a little bit tougher for him to get his shot off, especially if you're down one and you have four seconds left and you're drawing up an ATO and you're, I would say Booker's probably the guy, but in terms of like pouring it on and being like more clutch, I would say Paul, but that is a good point. Like yeah, if you have to drop a play for a bucket, I, I might pick Booker in that case. Or just another value. Yeah, if it, if you could draw more of those up, that'd be great. But I think now now the other team knows that they're actually going to switch everything and not fight over screens like the Clippers are trying to do. And also that it's fair game if the ball is over the rim because Zubac was kind of like, wait, that doesn't count. Like he didn't even really try to go up to contest it. But yes, I don't think we're going to see another one of those, but that would be awesome. I mean, I'd also take Chris Paul over Chris Middleton. I'd, I'd probably take Devin Booker over Chris Middleton too. I mean, I think he was born to make big shots. I mean, Chris Middleton is, as Buddy said, has been very good. And, you know, there are times where he just keeps taking shots and you're like, oh, wow. But, I mean, there have also been times when I think I've seen Devin Booker do the same thing. Um, and the way Devin Booker just elevates and knocks down shots from the mid-range, it's, 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 a, it's pretty special when, when it happens. So, they'll have super talented, obviously. But I, I think I would take both Suns guys over Chris Middleton. Yeah, but I, I actually probably take Chris Middleton. I think he... It's probably the slight height advantage. I've just seen him more knock down shots with people like in his face, maybe more so than Booker. And he's a little more in control. It seems to me, I looked this up that in clutch time this year, uh, Middleton has a 38% field goal percentage. Booker's 33. So that slight edge, I guess I'll take Middleton there. And now leaving the next one, we already talked about Chris Paul, but for this one, I mean, this one's kind of obvious, but we can talk about it. the better point guard. Is it Chris Paul over Drew Holiday. Um, I'm going to have to go with Chris Paul on this one. I do think Drew Holiday has a pretty unique role um, in Milwaukee, though. That's very important. I mean, Buddy has mentioned this, but when, you know, he, he really does need to play well for the Bucks to succeed. And we saw that the Suns can actually win games um, with Chris Paul not there. Not because Chris Paul is useless. I mean, Chris Paul has clearly had a huge effect on this whole team. And so I think a lot of his impact has been greater than just his on the court play, but how he's affected the other guys this whole season and set up his team to be, you know, very efficient, to be smart, to, to play together, to be very coordinated. And so I think 
a lot of that also comes into play. And so even when Chris Paul's not in the court, I think the Suns can still do really well. With a guy like Drew Holiday, you can't, the Bucks really do need him to be slashing in there to get to the bucket and, and to guard the opposing guards. Um, they really do need him. But in a vacuum, Chris Paul is a better point guard. Yeah, Chris brings up a good point. I think if you took Chris Paul off of this Phoenix team, like as like not before the season started, but like right now, like if Chris Paul got some injury and didn't play the whole season or the whole series and Drew Holiday didn't, didn't play the whole series, I think the Bucks would be more hurt by that than the Suns would just because, yeah, we've seen campaign go off and Drew Holiday, like like who's who's playing those minutes for the Bucks if, if Holiday doesn't play? Like you're playing Brent Forbes a bunch of minutes, you're playing Connaughton a lot more. And, you know, we'll talk about this later with the coaching section, but then Budenholzer will play Jeff Teague like 24 minutes and he'll be yeah. terrible for all 24. And Holiday's better on the defensive end, but I think offensively it, it matters more. And Chris Paul is just better point guard. Obviously he had a better career, but secondly, yeah, he's, he's just been a better player throughout this whole playoffs. I think Paul's shooting over 40% from three in the playoffs, Holiday's shooting under 30. He's pretty hit or miss. So... I'd go with Paul as well. Yeah, Chris Paul is just the point god. I do think, yeah, Buddy said that Holiday is a better defender, and that's a problem with analytics a little bit. Is it's hard to capture defense, so we could really quantify the impact. Maybe the race, the it would seem closer between Holiday and Chris Paul, but I think most people agree. Yeah, Chris Paul is the better point guard. And now, yeah, Buddy, you mentioned campaign, so this gets into the next question: Who is the better six man, Cameron Payne or? question mark for Milwaukee Bucks because they don't really have like a defined, I guess, traditional six man. So yeah, you can say campaign or pick any one of the Bucks bench players for this one. Campaign. Um, because yeah, to your point, I, I don't know who that is for the Bucks. Like Connaughton, pretty hit or miss. You know, he's a good role player, but you don't want him playing big minutes. Whereas campaign can like single-handedly do the, you know, the microwave score, Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams kind of thing where he just takes over a game, like at the start of a second quarter or something like that. I guess the other couple people that would be in contention for the Bucks is maybe like a Bobby Portis type, but he's also really hit or miss, especially if he's not playing center. Like you, you just can't play him and Lopez together because then Portis will have to guard someone on the Suns who isn't their center and he'll have to stretch out. Like even if, if Sarich is the five and you're like playing a five out lineup Portis guarding anyone in space, like anyone on the perimeter is just not great. Like you don't want to play him if that's his role. So yes, I would go with campaign and maybe even Cam Johnson before I pick anyone on, on the bucks for like a top six man. I would definitely agree with that campaign is, has had some phenomenal games and has shown that he can really like fill the, the gaps for the Suns when, when Chris Paul is off the court. And even together with Chris Paul in the court, because, you know, he's more of a, a slasher, athletic slasher type uh, to get to the basket, to create space with the Bucks. I don't even know. I, I am not sure. And I do think that sort of that roster depth is one of the reasons why I think Phoenix will ultimately win, um, because I just think they're just a much more complete team, both in terms of depth and also what they have in, even in their starting lineup. Yeah, I think Phoenix has a deeper team. The Bucks have like a, a decent, a fine bench, but it's very, I guess, mediocre. Yeah, and it's hard. The fact that it's hard to pick out a clear six man kind of shows that. And yeah, now two left. We have the better center, DeAndre Ayton or Brooke Lopez. I would have to go with DeAndre Ayton on this. It feels like, or at least with Giannis on the court, it does feel like Brooke Lopez doesn't really 
him in play center. Um, a lot of times you see him out there in the perimeter, clearing space for Giannis to get in the paint, obviously. But I think DeAndre Ayton has been really great, really efficient around the rim and making all the right plays. And so, I mean, part of it for Brook Lopez may be because Giannis is clogging the paint. He doesn't really have a, a chance to show his true skill set. But at least with, you know, how they've been used in the playoffs, I do think DeAndre Ayton has been better. I mean, it, it's pretty easy to go with Ayton as well, and I, I think I will. But Lopez has been great in these last two games that Giannis hasn't played. Game five, he had 33 points and really, you know, willed his team to victory. Probably their best player in game five against the Hawks. And game six, this this past game, he was plus 25 in 39 minutes. And the Bucks only won by 11. So they were negative 14 in the nine minutes he, he didn't play. So Brooks been great, but to Chris's point, like the reason why he's been great is, and this doesn't necessarily make the team better, but it's because Giannis hasn't been playing. So he has more room to not be like the splash mountain three point shooter that, that he's been nicknamed. Like he can do his, his old New Jersey Brooklyn Nets thing where he's just like this post player. So he's been really good, but yeah, just over the course of a series, I'd pick Aiden in a heartbeat. Yeah. I think this will be Aiden's toughest matchup probably defensively, but he's probably the more complete center. Brooke Lopez is a better shooter though. I just looked this up. I think Aiton's made seven career three pointers and Lopez has made like 630 something. So for what that's worth, Lopez is a better shooter, but that doesn't really matter when at least. I mean, I do think it speaks to the fact that Milwaukee needs Brooke Lopez shooting threes, whereas the Suns, they definitely don't need DeAndre Aiton to shoot their threes. Uh, I, I do think that, does say something about the teams. I did just want to point out that Brooke Lopez, like the two previous seasons, he, he was shooting way more threes, at least in the playoffs than he is this year. Like we think of him as kind of just like spotting up behind the three point line, but he's only shooting three a game in these playoffs. I thought it was a lot higher. So they're either not using him in that way as much, or he's just not getting as many touches as he used to. Yeah. Um, last question. So better coach. Monty Williams or Mike Budenholzer? I will go first with this one. The answer is Monty Williams. Probably should have won coach of the year this year. No, no, no. Gave it to Tibbs. Go Knicks. The Knicks have to win something. Yeah, I don't. (laughs) Okay. Well, anyway, Monty Williams has been a great coach. And Bud, let's put it this way. And I know this isn't the best way of thinking about it. Probably even if the Bucks lose that game seven to the Nets, so and the, they lose game seven on the road in the second round, but gets fired. Whereas if Monty Williams loses in the first round, he doesn't get fired because I honestly think that the Bucks wanted an excuse to get rid of Bud. Probably should have done it last year. But now that they've made the finals, they're not going to get rid of him. I, I just feel like he makes some decisions that, especially in, in rotations, and I brought up the Jeff Teague thing, it, that just don't work well. And Obviously, the it almost became a meme last year. He just wouldn't play any of his players more than like 36 minutes in a 48-minute game, and that's why they nearly got swept by the heat in the bubble. He's, he's been better about that this year, but it's still, I don't know, something about him. I, I just I think Monty Williams is clearly the answer here, both scheme-wise and also just like how well they like keep themselves composed on the court. But he has this like classic face where he just looks super confused, like he's like kind of in, in disbelief and Monty, I just feel like the players are buying in a little bit more and he's just more in control. So 
I think that makes it every single one of these questions you've asked, at least I have said the Phoenix answer, which maybe is telling for where this series is going to go, but we'll see. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Honestly, just for the the play he drew up with that we talked about earlier to DeAndre Ayton in the final seconds of that game or final less than seconds in that game. I, I mean, that was an incredible play drawn up. And as Buddy said, I, I think one big thing I noticed when I watch the Suns is I see them on the court. They just look like a team that's playing together. They look like a team that's disciplined, that's organized, and that is like staying connected to each other. Whereas with the Bucks, you, you sort of see these times where they're, you're not exactly sure what's going on out there. Or they're jacking up all these threes, but yet they're shooting like, I don't know, 10% um, for BI on the arc. And you're kind of like, okay, why, why do you keep shooting these? You're not shooting that well. You, you should make some adjustments, especially when you're, you have such a large team. So I, I think the Bucks they haven't really made the correct adjustments all the times. With Monty Williams, he's done an excellent job managing his, his roster and his team. Continuing on the trend analytics is like how much you, it's hard to quantify how much the coach is helping his team, how much is he like boosting the performance of his team. I think Budenholzer definitely like saved his job. I mean, who knows if he saved his job or just Kevin Durant's flipping a foot? Like, it's hard to know. The point is, he's probably they're not going to fire him. And I did look up, Buddy mentioned, you know, that he did increase their minutes this playoffs. Middleton averaged about 35 minutes last year, and he's now up to 39. Giannis was at 31 minutes last year and is now at 37. So he's kind of fixed that, I guess. And But yeah, Monty Williams does seem like the better coach from the eye test and just seeing how the players play around him and how just when they do like the inside the mic things like that on, on TV, he just seems more in control or whatever that means. I think that is also to consider is I mean, I think this is less true in basketball as opposed to other sports is like the head coach really matters in basketball, but say in football, you also have your offensive coordinator, your defensive coordinator, and the credit is more split among the head coach and them. In baseball, you have your, your pitching coach and hitting coach and things like that. Whereas in basketball, I think it's really all on the head coach, but there still are some people who might you know deserve credit either on the bench or in the front office. And we're still just figuring out you know how to give credit where credit is due and figure out who's contributing the most. But those are just some things to think about, but yeah. Just to connect to your, your point about like comparing it to football, for example, I would say that coaches in football and yes, like more than one coach in football has a much bigger role in like the outcome of the game than a basketball coach. Like they're literally drawing up the plays that the team eventually runs in basketball. Like, yes, it's definitely a plus if a coach is like a mastermind and like out of timeout plays like a Nick nurse or a, Brad Stevens, although he's not a coach anymore, I guess. But also like we've seen, you know, coaches like Steve Kerr and Steve Nash. I know they do more than this, but like a big reason why they're there is to just like manage the egos of like the various top players and hotheads on their team. And that's almost like as important of a skill as like actually, you know, being super good at the X's and O's. So, I mean, I could totally see a scenario in which the Bucks win the series and Bud makes so many stupid coaching decisions but on like the football field, like if you have an offensive coordinator doing like really stupid stuff and you don't, you don't just have like a quarterback calling your own plays, it's hard to imagine that offense actually scoring touchdowns. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to, to think about the parallels of like different sports in that regard. Yeah, I think we, we hit on everything. It sounds like we mostly picked for the Suns for a lot of those things. But, you know, it's not just one-on-one matchups. It's how the, it's, the sum can be greater than its parts. It's how it all comes together. And any of these people could have 
an amazing series or, or not. That's why we watch and that's why we play. So it'll definitely be interesting to watch. But I think that should wrap up this episode. Thanks for having us. It, it should be a really fun finals. This has been a good brain exercise to think about it a little bit and really excited to get started tomorrow. Yep. Thanks for having us, David. Uh, I'm also very excited to watch this and and hopefully my prediction is right that Phoenix will win in six games. And that's I guess that's your prediction too. So we're, we're against Buddy on this one. Yeah. No, this will definitely be uh, interesting finals, I think. A lot of new stuff. Not the, the same teams, you know. But yeah, definitely fun to watch. And yeah, I hope, hope you guys all enjoy. And yeah, thanks for coming on. Again, you can check out the first half of this episode in which we recap the opening three rounds of the playoffs to give some context heading into the finals. And thanks to Buddy and Chris for joining me today. You can check out Buddy on his Twitter at BuddyScottNBA. Also, check out his podcast, Buddy Ball. And you can read Chris's article on our website at harvardsportsanalysis.org, along with many of our other analytical articles. And also remember to follow us on Twitter at Harvard underscore sports. Hope you enjoy the NBA finals and we'll see you on the next episode.